Thank you for downloading this podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. This particular Sunday was the first Sunday of Advent, and unfortunately a technical glitch meant that we were not able to record the entire service. In fact, we had to re-record the scripture readings and the sermon, which we've now uploaded for you to listen to in our podcast format. Apologize for any delay or confusion that this has created, but I'm so glad that you are listening. This is Pastor Jonathan Krogh from First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange, hoping that you are blessed by these audio presentations. Our first scripture lesson on this first Sunday of Advent comes from the prophet Jeremiah, the 33rd chapter, verses 14 through 16. Jeremiah 33, 14 to 16. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The gospel lesson on that same Sunday was Luke 21, verses 25 through 36. Jesus is speaking, There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and on earth distress among nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when you see these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And then he told a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things take place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life, and that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that will take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let us pray. When we hear these terrible words of tumult, confusion, and the end, give our hearts an understanding that you bring these words to us as both warning and comfort. And may we share the comfort of your coming hope with all who come our way. To the glory of Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. 
When Alexander the Great conquered both the Persian and Egyptian empires, poor little Judea was wedged between these two ancient international superpowers, now united under a single Greek commander. Initially, Alexander the Great had little concern for this odd little monotheistic nation. He gave the Samaritans full permission to sack the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. For him, they were nothing more than two rival gangs fighting over the same street, the territory of a backwater town. It was also part of his strategy destabilize every region by backing the local opposition wherever Alexander ruled. This kept the traditional faction from returning to power. It also historically cemented the hatred of the Jews for the Samaritans. This situation continued with old Alex G. until his eponymous city, Alexandria, met a scholar named Shimon Hatzedek, the leader of the Jewish community back in Jerusalem. Alex was so smitten with the wisdom and scholarship of this rabbi that he rescinded his preference for the Samaritans and allowed the Jews to clean up their temple and return their, to their religious practices in Jerusalem. With a modest amount of autonomy, Jews controlled Judea until Al the Great's untimely death at the age of 33 in 307 B.C., after which the edges of the Greek Empire began to fray. Over the next 60 years, Syria and Egypt reconstituted their historic boundaries, Egypt under Ptolemy's family and Syria under the Seleucids, with poor little Judea again stuck in the middle. By 167 B.C., the Seleucids had be begun waging war on the Ptolemies, stopping over Judah along the way. They turned against the ancient city of Jerusalem and converted it into a garrison to supply their troops further southwest. And in the process, they erected a grand statue of Zeus in the Jewish temple and forced the locals to live extremely unkosher lives. This continued until the rise of the Maccabee family. It was a gang of local warriors who began to wage violence against their Assyrian oppressors. A series of guerrilla attacks by the Maccabees, together with others that they had recruited from the countryside, resulted in their recapture of the temple city in 164 B.C. With the temple now once again in Jewish control, they set about to reconstitute the space in the name of the one true God of Israel. Unfortunately, when they went to light the seven lamps on the grand lampstand, there was only enough consecrated oil for a single day. The lamp burned pure olive oil, and the oil that was left behind by the Greeks was polluted with animal fat, including the fat of pigs. It would take a full eight days to purify more olive oil to permit the lamp to burn continuously in the unwindowed temple which was the miracle of the dedication of the temple. The light burned for eight days. The Hebrew word for dedication is Hanukkah. In subsequent years, the Greeks again sacked the temple, but with the Roman emperor supplanting the Greeks and the Syrians, a different governing policy arose. Romans realized as long as taxes got paid, local customs could be tolerated. Of course, these arrangements required alliances with local elites to keep things in order. Such was the case between the governor, Pilate, and the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, by the time that Jesus came along. 
So when the disciples were gawking at the amazing temples and Jesus was talking about the grand quarried stones being cast down, the imaginations of the disciples were understandably filled with images of the great Maccabean street fighters tossing out their goyim overlords from Jerusalem. Return Jerusalem to the Jews was their battle cry. And the grand Messiah Jesus would be their leader to autonomy and peace. Problem was, and is, the disciples were thinking way too small, too local, too short-term. We make the same error as we think that God is preoccupied with our local politics. The only kingdom we consider is the one in which we live, and so that's the one to which we believe God should etern, re, attend. And so we are working and asking the eternal king of the universe who created all things, visible and invisible, to intervene and bless the deliberations of our local school board. There's a certain arrogance in our thinking that somehow our times are so corrupt, so violent, so serious, that this will be the occasion that God will step in and fight for us. Never mind the struggles of all the generations gone before. We, we will see the coming of the king to set our world aright. We're like the disciples sitting on the hill, wishing, wondering, hoping that this will be the time when the Son of Man coming in his glory and we will completely miss what Jesus said, as did they. Do not be led astray. Many will come and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. There will be wars and insurrections. Nations will rise and fall. There will be famines and plagues. But do not be deceived. It will not yet be the time. In the meantime, says Jesus to his disciples and to us, you will face trials. You will face persecutions. You'll need to have your answer ready because you will not be rescued. Jesus turns towards the grove there on the hill that they're sitting and says it's like a, it's like a fig tree. You know it's time for the harvest when the whole process of growth and bud and flower and fruit unfold but not before. Few of the disciples lived long enough to see the final destruction of the temple. It was the year 66 AD. The Jews of Judea rebelled against their Roman occupiers. And in response, the emperor Nero dispatched an army under the generalship of Vespasian to restore order. By the year 68, resistance in the northern part of the province had been completely crushed. And Romans turned their full attention to the siege and subjugation of Jerusalem. That same year, the Emperor Nero burned Rome and committed suicide, created a power vacuum back in the capital city, and in the resulting chaos, Vespasian was declared emperor and returned to the capital city. Departing Judea, Vespasian left his son Titus to lead the remaining army in the final assault on Jerusalem. 
the Roman legions surrounded the city and began to slowly squeeze the life out of the Jewish stronghold. By the year 70, the attackers had breached Jerusalem's outer walls and began a systemic ransacking of the city. The assault culminated in the burning and the destruction of the temple that served as the center of Judaism. In victory, the Romans slaughtered thousands. Of those spared from death, thousands more were enslaved and sent to toil in the mines of Egypt. Others were dispersed to arenas throughout Europe to be butchered for the amusement of the public. The temple's sacred relics were even taken to Rome, where they were displayed in celebration of the great victory. The rebellion sputtered on for another three years. It was finally extinguished in 73 A.D. with the fall of the last few pockets of resistance, including the stronghold at Masada. Now fully scattered, the people of Jerusalem were left with a story, a memory, and for nearly 2,000 years, a light to burn in their scattered darkness. So tonight, tonight faithful Jews will dust off the candle stand in their homes and say the prayers. Baruch atah Adonai Elochenu Melech HaChalom Asher Kedeshenu Bamitzotov Tetzvana Haladek Shir Shal Hanukkah and Baruch atah Adonai Elochenu Melech HaChalom Shisha Nesim Avetenu Avayim Hayim Bazmiz Hazat and finally Baruch atah Adonai Elochenu Melech HaChalom Sheshechenu Blessed are you, our Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments and command us to kindle the lights of Hanukkah. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who made miracles for our forefathers in those days. At this time. And blessed are you, O Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this season. And in our nod to our Jewish forebearers of faith, we too remember that our lives are not so different. Our time and place is worthy of God's attention. But we do not share some special merit where God will bail us out of our struggles, our disappointments, our defeats. No, no. We have God's presence that we may endure, but not God's permission to avoid our mortality. So, as do they, we too light a candle in this season. We light four candles, marking the weekly cycles until we proclaim again the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. And through the darkness of the ages, as the Hanukkah candles are ignited in faithful Jewish homes around the world, and prayers are given for the thanksgiving of survival of life itself 
and for light that shines into darkness, so we too ignite on this day the first candle of our Advent, the candle of hope.